This episode is brought to you by Ionic. For more, visit ionicframework.com slash view. All right, let's do this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ben, and today on our panel, we have Ari. Hello. Tessa. Hello. And returning special guest panelist, Alex Riviere. Hello. <laughs> and today, we're here to talk about something that's coming to... Well, when I say coming, I mean, it's in View 3 already. I keep forgetting. Like, View 3 is released. And so we're here to talk about the emits component option. But before we get started, I guess, Alex, I'm going to throw this to you. What is this concept of emitting in Vue? Because it's not a Vue 3 thing. There's something, we'll talk about what's Vue 3 specific, but what is emit when it comes to Vue? So my understanding is, is that emitting in Vue is sort of the way that you pass data from a child component to its parent. So it allows you to create your own events and you can kind of use it wherever you want to in a component to emit some data back up to its parent. And you can call your events whatever you want to. We have some sort of uh, various types of namespaced events that are native events that we're sort of catching. But overall, like that is what emitting is, is that you can pass some data from a child to its parent by catching an event and receiving the new updated data. Very nice. What do you think, Ari? Does that jive with your definition or...? What do you think when it comes to events? But I do think it's important to note that the documentation very specifically says kebab case only. So we can't just name things (laughs) willy-nilly, Alex. (laughs) I prefer screaming snake case. (laughs) Oh, no, the worst of all That's the first time I've heard that. Screaming snake case. I like it. We're making it a thing in 2021. Hashtag Uh. trends. But yes, uh, overall, I agree, though, I, I would also like to note that you don't always have to pass data with it. Sometimes just the fact that it happened is all the parent needs to know. And what about you, Tessa? What's been your experience uh, with emits and the month to model of it? Yeah, I, I think it's probably the same as Alex and Ari. The only thing I really have to add there is the reason that the docs have that recommendation is because DOM events are not case sensitive. And so if there's a point, I believe, where like your event passes through a part of your app that is not in the view ecosystem, then if you're checking for it based on like kebab case, it may no longer match something like that. Yeah, sounds about right. And so, yeah, I think to Ari, Alex and Tessa's point, I think for me, when it comes to admit, it is that idea of just like really notifying, like basically the child or the component just tells the parent that something has happened. Whether a payload accompanies it or not is completely optional. Typically, it does accompany it. But it's one of those things where I think people who come from other frameworks, particularly like React, for example, they'll think it's kind of weird. They'll be like, what is this emit thing? Why not just like pass a callback function as a prop, which is more common in React? And for me, I think when I started thinking about this, it's, I don't know about you all, but like to me, this is actually the way the web was built normally. It's like you listen for a click, and then the click event tells you what to do. And so in that regard, like this is actually the way that things have been done. I don't know if anyone disagrees, agrees. Yeah, I mean, I learned AngularJS before I ever learned React. So learning to pass callbacks was a weird experience for me. And then going from React to Vue, switching to props and events was was weird again. But 
it was weird to when I first switched to callbacks to have to use that pattern. And when I first switched to view, I tried to do the callback thing instead. I don't remember that there was any particular recommendation in the docs when I was like going through the starter guide, but I just wanted to try it to see how it worked. And just over time, I realized that like, it kind of felt like I was fighting against the design of view and upkeep would be more cumbersome. So I kind of naturally moved away from it. One of the things I know I struggled with with when it came to JavaScript early on was the name of callback function. I don't know why, but the idea that the function is called back like never really jive with me. So like just in case we have listeners here who are probably newer to JavaScript, I guess I'll start with you, Alex. Like what does it mean to pass a callback function as a prop to a component? So there was a period. I came in to JavaScript right as ES6 had been around for like a year, right? Yeah. So people were slowly moving over to promises. So I've missed, there's some of this history that I've missed. So I will attempt to speak intelligently about this. Um, <laughs> there was a time before promises existed where you could do asynchronous style programming, have create a promise. And then once that promise has resolved, do something. And Sorry, with, before promises existed, you could do promises. Can you explain that a little further? Do you mean like with Bluebird or you, do you, you mean- couldn't do prom- okay, like gotcha. before promises existed, you would do callbacks, right? Currently with promises, you're able to create a promise. And once that promise has resolved, you're able to then do something else. With callbacks, you would have a function or a component and you would say, hey, here's the thing that I want you to do once you're done. And you would pass it as an argument. In the case of a component, you would give it as a prop. You would say, here is a function as a prop that I want you to call, which technically, from a technical standpoint, is fine. However, if you are writing a bunch of components and you are expecting a callback function, my experience has been you need to check to see if that callback function exists. And by doing that check, you are not leveraging the beauty of the emit function, which does that check for you and will call all of the things that you've already supplied. That's my 10 and a half cents. (laughs) What about you, Ari? What was your experience when you first learned about callback functions? Goodness. So (laughs) I once created an asynchronous function that also had to be somewhat synchronous. So I think I had three levels of promises. So I am well versed in callbacks. (laughs) I believe it's what some people would describe as callback hell. But I also, when I was first learning web development, I started with jQuery which is very much dependent on the built-in DOM event, which allows you to add an event listener, but also it allows you to dispatch an event from an element. So for me, it was the concept was familiar, but having it in HTML was not. <laughs> that took a little getting used to. The, the one thing that I have always struggled with for like the for some reason, is if I'm calling a callback that I've already defined, I never know if I'm just supposed to do the name 
of the function or if I'm also supposed to invoke it in in the call. Oh my callback. god, yes. <laughs> I feel that so hard. Oh so my god. sometimes I'll just define it in line so that I don't have to think about that at all. <laughs> I mess that up all the time. What about you, Tessa? What's been your experience with callbacks? Yeah, I mean, I did a bit of jQuery. I don't really remember that much about callbacks specifically there. Although speaking of nesting, like I haven't really entered callback hell that often, but I do really enjoy deeply nesting ternaries. I don't do it in prod. I just like it. Are you you serious? Yes. Uh, Well, okay. So specifically, I think it was actually for a project where a partner and I had to implement promises from scratch. Like we were basically rebuilding Bluebird.js, which was or maybe still is like a popular library for promises for projects that don't have native ES6 promises. And we were talking about ternaries and I told her that you could nest them and she didn't believe me. So I nested like 15 ternary expressions just to prove that you could. And also it worked. And, you know, we finished that. We passed whatever unit test that was. So it was great. <laughs> okay, but Tessa, just because you can. Means you absolutely you should. should. <laughs> <laughs> but to bring it back to Ben's question, I remember when I was learning about callbacks, it was something that was very hard for me to understand. And it's still, it's still hard for me to understand. And I think I'm starting to realize what it is. Because, well, the idea of callbacks, right, is that with JavaScript, we have first class functions, which I believe means something like they're objects, or you can pass them as arguments or something like that, like you can give another function a function. And so the idea with callbacks is that you are passing a function to another function. And then at some point when that other function runs, it'll call the passed in function. So that's a callback. The part that trips me up, I think is the back part of callback, like I was recently rewatching a node a node class from this online instructor I really like, Anthony Alisea. And he was talking about how, oh, it's called a callback because it's like, you know, when you call somebody and they're not there and you leave them a message and then they call you back. But the whole point of calling somebody back is so that you can have some kind of conversation or communicate with each other. And like with callback functions, the function that's being called back later doesn't necessarily have to send any data back to the original function or close over any data from the original function like it can, like the original function might not even care that it was called. It's just passing it on to the next function to be like, you take care of this. Like I'm washing my hands clean of it. And so I think more than the concept, it's just the name that I always found really confusing. What if we think about it like a callback in comedy where the joke is defined early in the show. And then at some point later, they use some phrase to hearken back to that joke. So let's let's say the joke is a function. So the audience laughed the first time the joke was told. Yeah, like that was the output of the function was laughter. And so we use a callback to then evoke laughter again because we've already defined that thing that outputs laughter. I I think I went way too deep on that. (laughs) I I like like it. it. I just don't know if like now I'm beginning to wonder if it's maybe an anti-pattern to have callback functions that don't fit that metaphor of callbacks where you're just like, I just want this thing to happen at some point later. I don't care about it anymore. Like it has no relation to the original function, but I mean, I I would say that that probably is an anti-pattern. It should relate to it, right? 
Otherwise, <laughs> it's just a, a dirty side effect. Ugh. Maybe, but it's still technically a callback, right? That's why I find the name confusing. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the name either. But when explained the way Ari explains it, I'm actually, I wish I had the explanation when I first was learning it, because I remember just being like, what, why is it CB? What is the CB thing that's being passed to things? And, oh, yeah. Ah. When I just do CB, oh, that took me forever to like understand that it was callback. Yeah. I was like, I have no so idea I'm always a proponent out. of spelling it out quite literally. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely a concept that I had trouble with at the beginning was like, why am I putting a function definition here? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever, because that concept made zero sense to me. Like, why would I be putting a function as a parameter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the so- best way to get used to it is just using set timeouts. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I'm dead serious here. <laughs> That's fair, right? Because every 300 because you're, yeah. milliseconds. You're taking away it. all of the other noise of like an event or whatever. You're just saying in X amount of time, do this. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, okay, hold on. And I'm going to call you back. Yes, but I will agree with uh, Jake Archibald's assertion that the order of the arguments and set timeouts is incorrect. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. <laughs> We'll need I a link to that article. Yeah, I had thought about it, but yeah, no. Because every yeah. single time I'm like, I want I want to say the amount of time that needs to pass before doing this thing. I don't want to tell you the thing you're going to do first, because you might just do it without telling you know me telling you how long to wait. Because <laughs> obviously, JavaScript is a person. Obviously. <laughs> so maybe that is a better way to think about callbacks then. So for instance, in the phone concept, you would have a phone conversation with someone where they would say, hey, can you go and get me some information about a thing? And they'll be like, cool, I will get you information about a thing. Let me call you back once I've done that. And then they hang up, right? At that point, the communication flow has stopped. They're off doing something else. And at some point, you're going to get a call back with that information. And that is why it would be a call back. Right. See, I feel like that makes sense if the original function is depending on getting that back. But that's not always the case. And also, I'm told that nobody makes phone calls anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) that's another problem. Uh, Okay, just replace call with text. (laughs) Can you give me an example of why, why you would pass in a function that was unrelated? Maybe it's not necessarily unrelated. It's just like the original function doesn't depend on getting that information back. Like it's delegated the responsibility of of taking care of something to the next function. So it assumes that the next function is going to call it eventually. I guess so, I feel like that, yeah, I think you're right that that very much is an anti-pattern. I think it may also be that you don't necessarily need the information directly from it, yeah. but you need that information available for something else that would happen, right? In the event of like an API call, like we do a bunch of stuff at work where we go and one of the first things that we do is we fetch the user information. So we sort of put a pause in the application and be like, hey, don't fire anything else until this one resolves because all of there's a bunch of other things that are miscellaneous that will need this information, but we don't know what they are, right? And so it could be like that where you're saying, hey, don't don't go do this thing until you see this information is done. Yeah. And also like bringing it back to events, like you can pass an event handler to the 
the watcher that will loop through all of them whenever an event is called and trigger those handlers. But like maybe, maybe there's no listener, which in that case, I would agree is an anti-pattern. But like, to me, that's kind of almost a separate question. Like, how should we write code versus like, what is the definition of a callback? Does that word make sense? Because I think, especially when we're teaching beginners callbacks, at least in all the materials that I've seen, I haven't seen any commentary on like what kind of function it should be. It's mostly just, well, it is a function in this specific context. So maybe the definition needs an update, but just in terms of thoroughness for me, callback doesn't encompass all of the possible use cases for when something would be considered a callback, metaphorically speaking. All metaphors eventually break down, Tessa. <laughs> this is true. I mean, ever since ever since I brought up the phone call thing, I'm thinking in my head about when somebody posts a TikTok and then somebody else makes like a reply TikTok. Anyway. <laughs> Should we just call them hollabacks? No. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, another 2021 trend. I like it. So now that we've talked sort of gotten a lot of different perspective on callbacks. Of course, we're here, as we mentioned at the beginning, to talk about emits. And so I guess I'll toss this one to Tessa. When it comes to View 3, what are some of the new things that are coming with View 3 for the emits option? Why me? I thought this is why we had Alex as a guest host on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, okay. I believe that now you can specify the either the events or the event handlers in your component options, similar to how we do with props in view two. And so the idea there is that you can see the events part of each component's API right at the top of the script tag, which depending on your preferences may also or may not also be the top of your file. Always top. (laughs) Always top. Personal projects, top work projects middle but it took me a long time doing it in personal projects top to get used to it I will say like literally a year I was really lucky because I just started that way because I started with view enterprise boilerplate for some reason I can never say those three words without messing it up (laughs) (laughs) I think I think when I when I took Chris's workshop he was just considering making that change so I was like just before so you're like a cool kid is what you're saying (laughs) <laughs> oh, uh, man. That's, that's the first time I heard like oh I took a workshop before it was cool <laughs> I was a nerd before it was cool if we're talking about order of your template versus script I think it really depends on the type of component file you're looking at no you're wrong I'm just kidding <laughs> if, you look at a, if you're looking at a view like a page where all you care about is what the template layout of it is, I feel like that's more important to be at the top than the script. Yeah, there are many times when I wish I had template at the top when I put script on top. It was only in my most recent project where I was doing a ton of JS dependent CSS that I was finally reaping. Wait, got it backwards. Anyway, I was finally reaping the rewards of putting script at the top. But up until that point, everything in my personal projects was very template heavy. And so it was such a slog to scroll past my script tag. Hmm. Just know which one I want at the top and magically put it there. Jeez. That's a feature for Rahul to do for VDX, oh actually, I think. Because <laughs> he could do magic like that. Anyways. Whichever one's uh, longer. <laughs> 
So Ari, what did you think about Tessa's, and I saw you sort of nodding along with her sort of what she saw as the new sort of emits enhancements in view three. Do you have anything to add or to like reinforce on those points? I, I <laughs> so when I first read about it, I immediately thought of Tessa because some of you may know that Tessa has had to advocate for play devil's advocate on the show before regarding passing in callbacks as props instead of emitting events. I think it's very important that everybody knows that that is not Tessa's personal preference, but it is something she has had to accommodate. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. <laughs> and the the argument she gave was having a clear API. If it's in the props, then it's clear that there's an expectation or at least a possibility of needing to address this particular thing. And so I really like that it does address that particular argument while mm-hmm. still supporting the prop emit relationship <laughs> yeah. to uh, simulate two-way binding. So I personally am a big fan of that because especially if you haven't looked at a component in a really long time, and even though you wrote it yourself, like it was a week ago, like, come on, guys, like I'm supposed to remember what I did last week, Mm -hmm. (laughs) being able to very quickly see what the relational expectations are between a parent and a child component, I think is super useful, which is why I think script should always be on top. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought that's the part you were nodding along to, TVH. (laughs) What about you, Alex? What were some of your reactions when you first saw the new emits? So I saw it and I got super excited. At work, we've been doing a lot with using JS doc comments to sort of describe how a component works, what's available in it, and what events it it emits. And that doesn't do anything for the editor, right? It doesn't actually translate in any way useful for the editor at this time. I use JetBrains, so there we go. (laughs) The thing is, though, is that if there is an emits option, then it's a lot easier for editors to infer, hey, here are the events that you have available to you. And I'm for developer experience, I feel like that's going to be extremely beneficial and extremely useful. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, just from a team level, it's going to be easier to say, hey, document the props. And if you ever emit an event, document the event that you're emitting. And I'm super stoked about it. I also like that you can do validation in there and be like, are you emitting this event correctly? That's really nice. Being able to do a custom validation and say, hey, is, is this event emitting properly or not? So, Yeah, especially... Going back to the like pro callback camp, I'm not going to pretend that I understand this argument, but like another pro for the callback pattern is it, it is apparently easier to track errors and also avoid type errors or something using callbacks. Like, again, I don't, I don't really get it, but if that is an experience that other people share, then I think having the validation right at the top of the, well, top if you have scripts at the top, but top of the options just really explicitly spelled out, I think is really nice. And also lately I've been doing a lot of like in-component documentation where I'll write at the top like a short summary of like the inputs and outputs of a component and what the intention is and like an example of where it's being used. And like, I always have to do a special go more in depth for events because 
you have to go to the template to see what's going on. And so it'll be nice to have everything listed in a, in a single place. You are a much better teammate than I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be an example. I mean, that is really going above and beyond. And you're making me feel bad about myself, Tessa. So could you stop? Honestly, that's the only reason I do it. I'm like working away that's at work. And I'm like, I hope Ari feels this in her heart and she feels guilty. Yep. <laughs> well, you win this time, Tessa. <laughs> hey, Tessa, your new PB&J topping selector website is really blowing up. I wish it came in a mobile app version so I didn't have to bring my desktop to my kitchen every single time I'm hungry. Oh, tell me about it. But I don't know the first thing about mobile. I'm a view developer through and through. Oh, well. Are you telling me you haven't heard of Ionic? Ionic? It's a mobile app development platform that empowers web developers to easily make native, mobile, and progressive web apps all in view. That sounds too good to be true. How do I know if I can trust it? Well, Ionic is the technology behind about 10% of the world's mobile apps, including ones from Home Depot and Target. It's also open source, so anyone can contribute. Nice. But... What if I need help? Well, Ionic's got you covered there, too, with their premium tools and services. Wow, that sounds almost as smooth as my favorite brand of peanut butter. But I'm no good at design. Don't Apple and Google have, like, super stringent standards on mobile user experience design? Well, that's the best part. The Ionic View library comes with over 100 native components and utilities, including animations and icons, so you don't need to design anything to get started. And Capacitor will take all your JavaScript and package it into a stunning mobile experience for you. Amazing! How do I get started? At ionicframework.com slash view. Ah! <sighs> I can't wait to make everyone jelly of my new PB&J mobile app. I think we've been talking about some of the like testaments and some of the pros of why people argue for props, uh, sorry, functions as sort of passing as props. But for me, I always found that our goal with, a lot of times with components is to find ways to make them a reusable, but then like really that's the whole point of components is to scope them to their appropriate like concerns. And so I think it's very interesting when people argue for that because it means that the parent has to be very prescriptive to the child about how to do something. And in the event you want that to be genericized or whatever, now you need to now you have two places that now kind of care about how that thing is going to handle it. Whereas a lot of times we just want to know that something happened in the child and the parent can be as they can do whatever the heck they want to do with that information that something has happened, just like you would expect in a browser to be like the user double clicked. Now, now that the double click has happened, this is what I'm going to do, which is different from the single click option, right? Like this is, I think, why the event model is actually native to how we develop for the web. I know that a lot of like for those who have come from kind of like the old vanguard of callbacks, like it does, it might feel more comfortable originally to think of things in callback ways, but I would definitely be sort of proposing that you try to sort of, if you rethink of events, not as a view thing, because it's not, it's, it's really how we've been doing the web this entire time. I think there might be less resistance to sort of like the mental model there. 
I mean, really, I feel like it's not even an old vanguard. It's not that events is a view thing so much as it is that callbacks is very much, I think, a React thing. Because like Angular also has two-way binding, right? So I don't, well, I haven't used Angular in a couple of years, but I don't remember this being like a big thing when I was working with Angular either. Could be wrong, though. Someone will probably let me know. Echo me, Louie. <laughs> wow, that was That's it. That was an back. old callback. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess we love for you, Chris. Me, <laughs> we miss you. I guess for me, part of how I wrap my head around the idea of callbacks was in my head. I understand that there's a very strong relationship, but just a different moniker between an event handler and a callback. Mm. Like ultimately, they achieve the same thing. They do something at a given point. And that point is not right now. <laughs> yeah. And so I, sometimes I feel like when people start arguing about that, I'm like, you're really talking about the same thing. But <laughs> that's me. Well, that's what I hear a lot, actually, is like, they're really basically the same. So why not just use callbacks since everybody knows callbacks? No. But you're Hard handling an event. Yep. Another argument that one of my teammates made that kind of makes sense to me is like, theoretically, because for me, the thing confusing about callbacks is I feel like I never know how the parent is messing with data that the child may have. Mm -hmm. And she's saying, well, it's just happening in a different place, but it's still the same thing. Because if you're emitting data up, and then the parent is mutating it, and then passing it back down, it's the same. And I'm like, on the one hand, I can kind of see their point. But then on the other hand, it's like, if the thing that's being mutated is being passed down as a prop, then that expectation is very explicit. Like it's a prop. So you know that the parent has full control of the data. But if on the other hand, with the callback, the parent is mutating stuff that's in the child's data function that I'm like using in computer properties and stuff, I feel like that's very different because once it's in the data option, I expect that to be the domain of the child. And if the parent is messing with the child's data, then I'm not very happy about it. And so like with emitting, yeah, it's a little bit more typing, but it's also a lot more explicit. And so that's what I appreciate about it. Yeah, I think it's a much cleaner separation of concerns. Yeah, I think like for me, like I understand what your sort of coworker may have been saying for that. It's just that it's weird because when we think of props, I think of it like you hand something to the child to say, okay, now go do something with this. Whereas like with the callback function, you're like, hey, here's this something to come back to me with so that I can do something. And it's like, yeah why that's so circular like just like the child will tell you like i don't know call it if you're in the kitchen and like the ingredients are prepped like ingredients are ready right not that like anyways actually throw away that kitchen argument that i had something in my head temporarily Um, also like the tooling supports debugging with events right because you can see if the event has been emitted or not yes that's a great point i also like how much easier it is to see if the chain is broken because if you let's say pass a callback through a series of components, but you also provide a default option Ugh. as a prop every single step of the way. Very hard to track it down, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard There's it's a lot not. of cringing going on. <laughs> um, but with events, you know that the problem has to either be in the component that's emitting the event or the component that's listening for the emission. So there's only two places you can check. That might can, be the best argument. Yeah, you can see in the dev tools if it's been emitted. And if it's not, you know it's in the child. And if it has been, you know it's in, in the listener. So it Which really... I have definitely had to resort to that many times. All and the time. Uh, 
a lot of the times it was never being admitted. And I was like, well, that explains it. See, my main thing <laughs> is like, I, I misspell the event every time. I know. <laughs> Definitely done that. Yeah. When it comes to debating between two methodologies, I think whichever one can help me debug a problem faster, basically usually wins hands down. I will reconfigure my brain if it will make, help me figure out problems faster. Well, I think with that, Tessa, there's no more arguing about this ever because yeah. you just won. Done. <laughs> Slam dunk. Well, I, I wanted an argument where everybody agrees with me. Who could have <laughs> seen it coming? <laughs> but actually, technically, technically, you wanted an argument against yourself because we always forced you to play devil's advocate <laughs> for the other side. <laughs> You beat yourself, Tessa. Oh my God. Well, that's what I set out to do every day. So mission accomplished. It's a good thing it's the last day of 2020. (laughs) Oh, that's right. It is. I know. Thank goodness. So I'm going to interject in here and say there is a place for passing a function as a prop. Alex coming in. All right. What's your hot Hot take, take. Alex? All right. Hot take. So, and Beautify has a perfect example of this. Validation function. (laughs) That's true. Passing in a validation function as a prop to an input so that you can make a generic input that will run newly updated value through it and you return true or false as to whether or not it is a valid argument. Or you could just use validate. And do it all in the parent. <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm trying to think if I can come up with anything against that. Since emit does not return a value, you can't actually run validations through emit. You have to pass in a function or you have to do it in the parent, as Ari has mentioned. However, if a component has built in error message handling, then it may be easier to pass in a validation function. Okay. I feel like I've mostly done that with props in my experience, but I wouldn't be opposed to if I saw it with callbacks, like if it was for a reusable library to me, I guess that makes sense. Cause usually you wouldn't personally want to mess with the library internals. I don't really like having rules where I'm like a hundred percent of the time, this is going to be correct. Cause that's not realistic. It's more in terms of like when we're just making components day to day, are we going to do 95% of them with callbacks or 95% of them with emits? I mean, and I'm 100% correct all the time. So that's true. That's true. 100% script on top. Yep. I think, you know, we should just, we should stop recording and just cut this episode immediately after Alex is like, wait, I have a counter example. And just end it there. Like, what's your hot take, Alex? And then end of episode. There we go. Next week Uh, on. So we've talked a lot about sort of the new fun things about Emit. And so just for sort of refresher for those who might be newer to Vue. So Alex, this will be the quiz question for you. So Hello. in Vue 2, how is Emit evoked? And versus what are some of the changes that have come with Vue 3 when it's being evoked, particularly in the composition API? All right. So in Vue 2, you can evoke emit by using this dot dollar emit and you pass it a string and a thing string string object, and a thing payload, i love right? it like it's the event payload right optional it's optional yes it's optional. and so that is how you emit you use this dot dollar emit 
I think there's a way to do it where you can get like the global view object and you can also do like view dot something. I don't know. That gets complicated. Don't do that, kids. That's not a good idea unless you really know what you're doing, (laughs) which I don't apparently. So it's fine. And then in view three, if you're using the standard way of doing things, the traditional options API, you can still use this dot dollar emit. But if you are using the composition API in your setup function, you get two arguments. You have props and context. Within that context object, you have three things. You have attributes, you have slots, and you have an emit function. This emit function allows you to emit events up to the parent. So within your setup function, you can call that emit function and it will, when triggered, emit an event up to the parent. Well done. Well done. And so I'll pass the next pop quick question to Ari. So how can you tell when a component is emitting an event? So like when the child component is in a parent, what signifies it differently from props to like say that, hey, when this event happens, do this thing. What? You lost me. When did this become a game show? (laughs) What do we win? (laughs) Welcome to enjoy the view. (laughs) Welcome to the bonus round. Oh no. The Venus round. So we know that when we... (laughs) So Ari, in a parent component, how do you listen for an event on a child component? That would be through the V on directive bean. (laughs) Very good. Very good. You can also use the shorthand of the at symbol instead, which is what I personally prefer because for some reason, my brain totally understands that. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I always forget beyond is the thing. I was like, like, I beyond know. listener? I was like, like what? Thing. Duh. <laughs> and so for those, I'm sort of picturing it at home. Basically, we, as we said, like when you emit the thing, we said the first argument which is required is your event name. So if you have a button that say enlarges the text in the parent, then it would say like it would be emit dash text, for example. And then on your component that's being called in the parent, you would have the at symbol and then enlarge dash text. And then whatever function you're going to call in the parent to then enlarge in set text. That would be sort of the syntax around that. There are some nuances here, though, that maybe we should talk about, but we're kind yes. of running out of time. So, I mean, my big one is always you can't you can't put a console log directly in a template because that was totally going to be my answer for how do you know it works? Console log it. <laughs> <laughs> but you also have to make that temporary console log function that you can pass into the template. Fair enough. I guess, Ari, if there's a specific nuance, it might be worth just mentioning because we can, if you can, if you want to just... Well, things that always end up tripping me up is when you are passing a payload, how exactly that happens and like how much you need to actually specify in the template, which is like nothing. (laughs) Because yeah, so this was like the whole thing earlier where I was talking about like, do do you invoke the function? Do you just have the function name? But yeah, so if you just pass it the function name, it will automatically pass the payload argument to the function, I believe. Okay, please correct me if I'm wrong. But if you actually want the event, you do have to specify the event with dollar sign event, right? I think that's only if you don't pass a payload, then by default, it'll pass the default event object. But the moment you add a payload, then that's when you right, need to define it. <laughs> yeah, see, that, so that, that, like, that that's a, a nuance tricky. that I feel like we needed to talk about. <laughs> yes. 
we'll include the links to the docs because this one's a little bit hard to explain, I think, like over audio. But to Ari's point, basically, when emitting an event, if you want the actual native event that's passed, so like where it's all like your attributes and stuff that you would normally get from the browser, I think normally you have to define that as dollar event when you're passing a payload as well versus, and if you don't have a payload, meaning like a custom thing you want to send up to the parent, then it should pass natively. But hopefully you can check that out in the docs. And if you have additional questions, you can ask Ari at, at Gloomy Lumi. Whoa. So to clarify, though, (laughs) when you say passing the native event, you mean like the event object, right? Correct. Okay. That like has Mm event.target. Yeah. Or we got event.parent. I recently did a whole thing traversing a node doing that. So I have done that. It never ended well for me. No. mm -mm. And then I was like, I should just select a different element. This is stupid. And I just added stuff to the HTML. I'm not traversing stuff. Cool. So one, one thing that's not clear to me looking at, at the docs for Vue 3 is with the options API, do you have to specify the events in the emits option? Like what's different? No. So this that's a great question. So unlike props where I think if you don't define it at all, then I think it's just not going to know what to receive. It goes um, on the adder's object at that point. Yeah. Emit, technically, there's nothing requiring you in like the compiler that will like stop your build if you randomly emit events in your component and don't define them in the options. So they're not tightly coupled at the moment. But that's not to say that for those who are thinking like, what if I want an opinion on those sort of things? I would say, you know, this will probably make the style guide at some point too. If you're defining a custom event in your component, it should be in the mids option. They should be one-to-one. So I imagine either whether it's through Viter or Rahul's new VueDX plugin, I imagine we'll probably start adding some rules to just let you know that you have custom events being admitted that are not documented in your emits options. These are sort of things that we will probably be starting to recommend in the style guide, I think, as Vue 3 begins to grow and people test out things. Okay, yeah, because right now, as it is, it's very confusing. It just says, like, you can define them there. And Ari, don't look. One of the examples is in camel case. And then (laughs) below, it just talks about validation. So it almost seems like it's really just for validation. So it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, I can't believe it's in camel case. How did that get past you, Bean? I know. I spent all my time reading everything, and I missed that one thing. Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great question, though. And so we will make sure to, uh, honestly... Tessa, you could issue a PR or Ari. <laughs> oh my God. Ari. Yeah. I mean, my first PR only took like, what, three months, right? <laughs> you know, no, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll put in a PR. <laughs> All right. Well, I think with that, it's time to wrap up this episode and move on to this week's picks. Tessa, would you like to kick us off? Okay. My first pick is from Tony and Chelsea Northrup. They posted a new Ask Us Anything video last night. And I just thought it was like a really fun and cute, lighthearted watch. And like Chelsea's sweater is gorgeous. And Tony talked about his favorite dinosaur, which like I thought was hilarious for some reason. And then they had this interesting, interesting thing where they talked about how people took Tony seriously for like dressing up as a doctor on Halloween. And people wouldn't believe that he wasn't a doctor, even though he kept on telling them it was a costume. And so, yeah, there's a lot of interesting points made throughout that video. Also, recently, I've been listening to Mediocre, which is a book by Ijeoma Oluo. And I thought it was mostly going to be about present-day America. Like, basically, I kept on seeing excerpts and reviews pop up on my social media feeds. So I was like, fine, I'll read it now instead of later. And actually, most of the book so far, I'm about halfway through, has been about history. Like, I learned a lot about Buffalo Bill, 
who was a prominent character I didn't really understand in some play I had to be in as a kid. And it talks about like white supremacy and how it gets in internalized into society. And it's really interesting. And also for the audiobook, depending on your vendor, like you may not be able to listen to a preview, but like her voice is like very smooth and relaxing, which is great, but also kind of a problem because, because then I get too relaxed and then I fall asleep, but it's great. <laughs> and then my third pick for the week is Fire Emblem Three Houses. Apparently there was a Cindered Shadows DLC that I didn't realize. And it comes as part of their like expansion pass package. And it's a whole new set of missions and characters and the best part is, if you clear it, a lot of the parts of the main game that can be kind of tiresome, like returning lost items, or like having tea with characters, like this all sounds very weird if you haven't played the game. And even if you have played the game, it's very weird. It gets a little bit less frustrating. So that is a very nice bonus. And those I can attest that she has been playing it a lot because she keeps popping up while I've been playing a lot. <laughs> playing it, so. <laughs> oh no, exposed. Oh, <laughs> that was one more argument for callbacks that popped into my head when we were talking is like, uh, if you use callbacks instead, you reduce emissions and that's like good or something. It's very eco-friendly. <laughs> <sighs> All right, on that punny note... Alex, you're up. So I only have one pick this week. I have a family friend who works at a local food bank, and they have been very overwhelmed this year. It's still 2020 as of this recording, and a lot of food banks have just been overwhelmed with people who need assistance. And so I'm suggesting as my pick, go help your local food bank. Give Donate food, donate money. They help out your local community. And I'm dropping in a link for Feeding America, and they will help you find one that is close to you. I think also, if I may add on on that note, one of my friends mentioned that you can also donate to like your neighborhood mutual aids to help out with groceries like in your local area. So I'll drop a link to that as well. All right, great. And then Ari, what do you have for us this week? I have a Netflix series. I actually, I don't know if it's an original series or not, but you can find it on Netflix called Manhunt Deadly Games. It is about the bombing of the Atlanta games in Centennial Park which happened in, I want to say 96. Yeah, 96. I didn't remember a whole lot about it, even though I was 10. Oh God, I was 10. <laughs> so I I didn't look up a lot of stuff because like, I didn't want to spoil things for myself. So I'm not going to spoil things for y'all, but it's just, it's about everything surrounding that. And there are some very interesting things that happen surrounding that. But yeah, it's addicting. You're going you're gonna to end up binging it. Just trust me. So don't start it late at night. <laughs> I'm surprised. I thought your pick was going to be Bridgerton. Okay, don't get me started on that. So, <laughs> as, hey, I want to hear all about this. As a middle-aged white woman, I am trying not to give in to being such a middle-aged white woman. So I am trying to resist that so wholeheartedly because I'm a huge Grey's Anatomy fan. And I just, I can't throw one more towel in, damn it. Oh my gosh. For I'm some reason in my mind, episodes. middle-aged always started at 40. I'm like, middle-aged? Middle I mean, <laughs> I mean, compared to like 20 year olds, I'm super old. <laughs> I'm 34 in case anyone wondered. 
though you probably could have done the math on, you know, 10 and 96. (laughs) (laughs) No, you overestimate, at least for me. But no, I figured with your love of the crown and figure Bridgerton's just right up your alley. I know, but I, okay, this is going to sound very weird, but like my entire life goal, the overarching theme of my life is I don't want to be basic. And I just feel like watching Bridgerton (laughs) just puts me square in basic territory. Does it? (laughs) I will probably watch it anyway, though. Darn it. Wait, so my question when Bridgerton came out, because I know that Shonda had that thing with ABC, like, did Grey's Anatomy end? No, Grey's Anatomy's still on. Oh, okay. I thought she severed ties with ABC. This is news to me. So, I mean, there are still episodes coming out. So, I don't know. Yeah, I thought that's why she was on Netflix. But I could be wrong. Let me know. You know where. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, then you all can look forward to, I imagine, whenever Ari succumbs to the Bridgerton temptation. I will never admit to it, though. Just saying. (laughs) All right. Well, that said, I think the last one is me. And so I have two picks for y'all. First of which is one I believe I've actually mentioned before, but I recently rewatched Street Food Asia, and particularly the first episode, which is on Bangkok, Thailand, around a street food vendor named Jay Fai. And she basically sells street food on the side of the corner on the street, but she's a one-star Michelin like awarded chef. And so this series basically goes through different stories of people who come from, you know, non-traditional backgrounds when you think of like high quality food and those sort of things. And so she has a really miraculous story regarding just sort of her, not only her upbringing, but then just sort of the amount of obstacles she encountered over her life in order to get to where she is today. And so incredibly inspiring. And if you love Thai food and just watching delicious food being made, absolutely worth watching. And so it looks like ours remind me, I may have picked actually our first episode. So talk about a callback, given that they started the show this this year. So <laughs> on the last day of the year, we are... We are calling back. All right. So, and with that, my second pick is for those who are into the second brain Zettelkasten productivity nerdum, I've been uh, exploring Obsidian Markdown Editor. And so it's basically what's interesting about it is compared to other things like Rome, Notion, and other things, Obsidian just uses your native file system, aka like you own all the Markdown files. And then it finds ways to stitch them together through internal linking, do basically graph linking and showing how notes relate to one another. It's They did a really, really good job. And the, basically, it's free for users to basically try out. And so if anyone wants to talk about Second Brain, that kind of stuff, definitely recommend checking out Obsidian. They did a wonderful job with that. And so that is all of my picks for this week. And with that, thank you everybody for listening today. And until next time, enjoy the view.